So today we go back to our uh, our series. We've been in uh, this overcoming series for about 11 or 12 weeks now with a couple of special Sundays where we jump out and we jump back in. And so today we go back to overcoming. We're talking about overcoming. And today I think we're going to talk about overcoming one of the biggest epidemics that is out there today. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about loneliness. Today we talk about overcoming loneliness. Loneliness is one of the biggest epidemics that is facing the world today. Uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who's the 19th Surgeon General of the United States, wrote a book recently, and it's called Together, and it's a wonderful book. And the premise of this book is, is about the healing power of connection in a lonely world. And actually, he started writing this book before the pandemic, and he added some chapters because as he was getting ready to publish it, the world entered COVID-19, and he thought, well, this is exactly what we need to talk about. And in this book, what he talks about, he talks about when he was Surgeon General, how he started to notice that a lot of the health issues, as he was traveling around from city to city, and he was hearing about what kind of health issues, what kind of issues are you guys going through that the government, that we could maybe get behind, a lot of the things that he was seeing were symptoms of an underlying illness of loneliness. People were quite literally dying because they were lonely. And he's actually not alone in that reasoning that loneliness kills. Uh, in fact, loneliness is a big killer, and a lot of doctors and researchers would agree that loneliness is lethal. Loneliness is so rampant in our world that many countries actually have uh, high-paid positions as ministers or on committees or in staff positions that their job is to combat loneliness or try to battle loneliness. In 2016, the UK instated a minister of loneliness. It's a ministry cabinet position. And his job is to figure out or try to figure out this epidemic of loneliness and how it's killing people and what he or what the country, I guess, could do and how to stop it. Loneliness is defined by social psychologists as the gap between social connections you would like to have and those you feel you experience. Loneliness is an inward feeling that we are unneeded, we are unwanted, we are uncared for or unnoticed, we are unloved. A recent survey by a private health insurance company, uh, they found that 61% of people feel lonely a lot of the time. And another 22% of people feel lonely all the time. That's 83% of people feeling lonely. There's some more stats on loneliness that, as I was reading this, I couldn't believe that these were true. Loneliness is actually likely to increase your risk of death by 26%. If you're battling loneliness, you're more likely to die an extra 26%. Loneliness, living alone, and poor social connections are as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is worse for you than obesity. Physically, it's an obesity. Loneliness and social are associated with an increased risk of developing coronary heart disease and stroke. Loneliness increases your risk of high blood pressure. Loneliness with severe depression is associated with early mortality, and loneliness is a major risk factor for depression in later life. Loneliness and social isolation put individuals at greater risk of cognitive decline and dementia. All because you're lonely. And the world is a lonely place. We as people, we're lonely. You've likely been lonely at some point in your life. At some point in your life, you've probably experienced some forms of loneliness. And, and if not, you, you may perhaps experience it later, or you might perhaps experience it again later in life. 
One surgeon actually noted that they were, they were treating more and more and more people for heart disease and stroke and heart attacks and those kinds of things. And he started to realize that it was a lot of people who had lost someone recently and felt lonely. He said a lot of people were coming in pretty soon after their spouse had died. They were coming in for heart-related illnesses. And he started to realize that intense loneliness was leading to your heart literally giving out. Loneliness can actually kill you. But the thing about loneliness is that you don't see it like you see other things that kill you. We can see other things and we know how to diagnose those things. We can see things like cancer on a scanner. We can see things like cigarettes. We know they're not good for you. We can see things that will kill you, but loneliness you can't see. Harvard lecturer Jeremy Noble, he teaches an entire course on loneliness at Harvard. And he says this, he says, if you're on Mars and you have the most powerful telescope that could look through walls, you can find all the isolated people on planet Earth, but you could not find the lonely people. See, loneliness isn't just being by yourself. That doesn't mean you're lonely simply because you're by yourself. Living on your own is not loneliness. Loneliness isn't even just being alone. That's not loneliness. Isolation and loneliness are completely different. The thing about loneliness is that you could be surrounded by people and still be completely lonely. One person said, a city is a place where hundreds of people are lonely together. Loneliness isn't solitude. Solitude is good for you. Solitude is a spiritual discipline that we're encouraged to practice. Solitude is a spiritual discipline that Jesus practiced, and he said you should practice. And so solitude is a good thing that can help you grow. And, and others in the Bible, too, practice it. But loneliness and solitude are not the same thing. Some of the great beacons of faith, some of the biggest names in the Bible, they experienced loneliness. And if we read it, we can see Moses in, a number, in Numbers 11.15. If you have Numbers 11.15, you can go there. But basically, he's, he's venting to God. And at one point, he says, go ahead and kill me. He says, go ahead and kill me. And why would Moses, Moses, you know, kind of a big deal in the Bible. Why does he say to God, go ahead and just kill me? Well, if we read back one verse earlier, verse 14, we see Moses felt lonely. Moses felt like he was facing all the problems of the world alone. He says, it's all on my shoulders, God, and I'm alone. And he says, go ahead and kill me. First Kings 19, we see Elijah. Elijah, again, a big deal in the Bible. Elijah, kind of a beacon of faith, one of the big deal prophets. He's out in the wilderness all by himself. And in First Kings 19, verse 4, he says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. He says, God, I've had enough. He says, I've had enough of it. And why, why would Elijah say this? If we read ahead a little bit in verse 10, he says, I am the only one left. He's feeling lonely. He's feeling completely lonely. If you read back to Genesis and read all the things that started in creation, God looks and he creates this thing and he says it's good and he creates this thing and he says that's good and he creates all these things and he says they're good and the first thing God calls not good, do you know what it is? It's not a sin. It wasn't the first sin that Adam or Eve did. He didn't look at that sin and be like, that's not good. Right? He didn't do that. It wasn't any of those things. The first thing in Genesis 2.18 God looks at Adam, and despite the fact that it seems like Adam is able to talk to all the animals, it says he's naming them, and it seems like obviously the animals might not be super aggressive, because I mean, I don't think he was walking up to a tiger if the tiger was also trying to eat him, right? And so it seems like he's at one with creation, and so he's got all the animals, and he's experiencing this perfect garden, he's completely safe, he can have whatever he wants, and Genesis 2.18, God looks at it and it says, 
It's not good that he's alone. Let's make someone for him. The first thing God calls not good is loneliness. And it's because we weren't created to be lonely. We weren't created to be by ourselves and feel unneeded, unwanted, unloved, uncared for. We weren't created for that. We were created for connection. We were created for community. We are made in the image of God. We would say that as Christians, we would know. We are made in the image of God. And the image of God is a God who is three in one, a trinity, a triune God. God literally exists as part of who he very is, the very part of his character, his essence, is existing in community. He exists in relationship. He exists in connection. We were created for community. We were created for connection. We weren't created to be lonely. And so what can we do about it? In a very lonely world, what do we do about it? Thankfully, we as the church, we actually can do something about it. There is something that we can look to to overcome loneliness, to get that connection. We need real community. I'm going to look at John 15, uh, 15 to 17, and we're going to see uh, what, what is said here and how we as a church, or how we can overcome loneliness. So I'm going to read John 15, 15 to 17. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says, I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command. Love each other. I want to look at three things we can do to overcome loneliness in our lives and also in the lives of the world that is a very lonely place. Jesus says something very important in verse 15 that I want to look at that gives us a first point. He says, I no longer call you slaves. Now you're my friends, right? He says, I no longer call you slaves. I now call you friend. And that's huge. And so the first thing that we can do to overcome loneliness is to recognize we have a friend in Jesus. So the first thing we can do is see our friend. See your friend. Our God calls himself our friend. The God of all creation says, I'm your friend. No other God in history has done that or looks at that. When we see and read about other gods, we don't see a God that says and looks at its creation and says, here's my friend. All these other gods that you would look at in history, they look at and say, these things I created to be my slaves or to worship me, to serve me. Our God, God, the God says, you're my friends. I created you as a friend. Our God is an intimate, relational God. And he looks at us and he sees friends. And the most crazy, beautiful, amazing thing about that is that God didn't need friends, right? God didn't have this need to look at us and have to make us. There was nothing that said, I have to make them, I need to create them. He doesn't need us at all. God is perfect in every part of who he is. There's no no way to improve God. He exists as the ultimate state of perfection. There's no way to make him better or anything like that. And because he's perfect, It means that there's no way to improve the relationship that he has in his triune nature. He exists in community. And if he's perfect, that means that the relationship that is experienced in that trinity is perfect relationship. So that, that relationship that God experienced is perfect. So he didn't need to create anything outside that relationship. He didn't need to create us if he already had perfect community in who he is. So why did God create us then? If God didn't need to create us, if he didn't need to make us, why did he? And I think it's so simple. He created us for love. 
He created us, or he created us to show us love, to experience his love. He wanted to show us love. We are the objects of his affection, and he wanted to show that to us. He didn't need to create us. Nothing forced God to create us. He wanted to show us love. He wanted to create humanity because he wanted to show his love to us. And that's amazing. God shows his love to us all the time. I mean, if we look around and we look at the world that we exist in, we can see the way he shows us his love all the time. I was reminded this week, but one way that I see God's love for us is a sunset. And this is going to be so stereotypical, but a sunset, I think, is one of the most beautiful things that exists. And I pictured God when he was making the world saying, well, I'm going to make it spin. That'll be good. I'll make it spin. It'll go around a big flaming ball in the center. It'll spin. And there'll be a day and there'll be a night. It'll be wonderful. And he could have just left it at that. It's going to be nice. It'll be, it'll be functional, right? But instead he said, well, it's got function, but I want to make it beautiful. I want to make this thing beautiful. I want every single day to end in beauty. And I want everyone to experience that. Every time I see a sunset, I'm reminded that God could have made that so simple. And instead, he wanted to make it beautiful for us to experience. All the plants, all the trees in the world. God made all these big, giant differences in creation. And he did it because he loves us. And he wants us to experience that beauty. All the animals, the insects, all these things in the world are beautiful. And God wanted us to experience that. God shows his love for us all the time in creation. But I think he shows his love for us all the time in our own lives. God reminds us every day that we are loved. God cares for us. He puts shoes on our feet. He puts a roof over our heads. He puts food on our plate. He provided a job for us to make money. He did all these things. God provides everything that you have. You didn't provide. God provided for you. He's the provider. And why? Because he loves us. He loves us and he wants to show us that. And the crazy thing is, he did all this for us when we didn't even deserve it, when we didn't deserve it at all. Romans 5.8, Paul says, God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. He sent Christ to die for us. Paul is basically saying here that God loved you so much, even when we didn't deserve that love at all, God still showed us the ultimate state of love. When we didn't deserve to be called his friend, when we didn't deserve to be loved by him, God did it anyways, because that's who he is. Jesus dying on the cross was the ultimate expression of love. If we go a bit back earlier in John 15, what we're looking at, if we see John 15, 13, Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Did you see that? It's the F word again there, and not the other F word, the good F word, <laughs> friends. He says, friends, again, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay his life down for his friends. Jesus calls us friends, again. Before he goes and he dies the most horrible death on a cross, he tells us why he's doing it. He says, there is no greater love for you than what I'm gonna do for you. And he says that you would lay down your life for your friends. He loves us, his friends, that much. Now, why does this matter when it comes to loneliness? You might be saying, well, why does this matter? And Jesus says, I'm your friend in verse 15. He says, I'm your friend. And later on, he says, don't worry. At the end of uh, John, he says, don't worry. I'm with you even until the very end of the world. So our best friend, Jesus, the guy who says, I'm willing to die for you because I love you that much. I am your friend. He also says, and I'm with you forever. I am with you always. Another of God's names is Emmanuel. If you, know, if you know what that word means, Emmanuel literally means God with us. It's built into his very name. 
that he is with us always. And if we remember that our best friend, the guy who laid his life down for us, if we remember that he is with us always, it'll be pretty hard to feel lonely if we see him with us. It's hard to feel unwanted or unloved or uncared for when our friend who went and died a horrible death, our friend who created us simply because he wanted to show us love so that he could be with us, if we remember that he is with us always. How could we feel uncared for, unloved, or unwanted when the God who wants us more than anything is with us always and calls us friend? So the first way to overcome loneliness is to recognize that you have a friend in Jesus and that he is with us always. The second thing we need to do is to speak with our friend. Speak with our friend. Jesus says here, he says, I have told you everything that the Father told me. And then he says, and my Father will give you everything, whatever you ask for, if you ask him in my name. He was telling us step two and what he does. And says step two is to talk to him. He says, he's talked to us already. He says, I told you everything, right? So that's Jesus saying, I'm talking with you. I've told you everything God told me. And then he says, and you should go talk to my father. You should talk to God too. Talk to him and use my name. And I mean, it should be quite obvious what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, talk to him. And that should be obvious for us as people. If we're willing to call God our friend, if we're willing to call Jesus our friend, then it it reasons that we should talk to our friend. Think about all your human relationships, past and present. All of your human relationships are marked by conversation. We talk in our friendships, right? It's how we get to know one another. We talk to people, we converse. It's how we learn for and care about one another through conversation. When Pastor John first started here, uh, he was an employee of the church. He first started, he's an employee. I mean, he still is. He's not fired or anything. <laughs> Awkward on Sundays. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he was an employee of the church, and so that's what he was. He was our, our pastor of worship. And, and technically, on paper, I was his boss. Uh, but my view of ministry is not a top-down one where it says, well, I'm, you know, the big dog and then everyone else down here. I don't view ministry like that. I view it as a partnership where together we are doing this thing called ministry. And so I never looked at him as his boss, but instead I looked at him as someone who was going to be a co-pastor in this ministry we do here. And I thought, if he's going to be a co-pastor, if he's going to be a partner here, then we need to be friends. We need to be friends. We have to be able to hang out as friends. So we had lots of conversations, and we still do. We, we still talk. We joke. We tell each other what's going on in our lives. We talk about our personal lives, our needs, our worries, things that have happened this week. And it's the same with all of our staff. When we show up in the office, we don't just sit there and only talk work and business all the time. We talk about what's going on in our lives, what our kids or our friends have done, what's going on in the world. We have conversation. We talk. We listen. We even share meals together, all of our staff, because we have to talk to stay friends. We develop friends that way as people, through conversation. How can you expect a friendship to grow if you never talk to the person? It's simply impossible. It's not possible to grow a friendship without conversation, without talking to people. And the same is true of your friendship with God. You have to talk with him. You have to have conversation with him. Share with him. Go to God and tell God about your day. Tell him the good parts, tell him the bad parts, tell him the emotions you experienced throughout the day, tell him something funny that happened throughout your day. Have a conversation with God. There's a word for this, and it's called prayer, right? But often I think we are terrible at praying in the church. I really do. I think we're really bad at praying in the church because I think we have mixed up the words prayers and petitions. And I think all we often do is go to God with our wish list and say, hey God, here's all the things that I need today. God, here's what I want from you. Here's my needs. Here's the things that I need you to do. But that's not how we're supposed to pray. 
Philippians 4, 6 says, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul has separated each of those things. He has said prayer is something, petition is something, thanksgiving is something. And he says, present your request to God. And, and he says that, that, I mean, that's obviously present your request. That's, that's when we're supposed to go and say, here, God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need. But Paul says, whenever we do that, we do it with thanksgiving. He says, do everything with thanksgiving. So we need to go to God also with our thanks. And I think we don't do that very often. How often do you thank God for everything? Like, I mean, when a big thing in our life happens, we're often very grateful. Like, we had a great anniversary special offering last week. We're obviously very thankful. But do we thank God for everything that he provides for us? Every little thing? Do we thank him every morning when we wake up for a roof over our head and a floor under our feet? Do we wake up and say, thanks, God, that, you know, I get to sleep on a bed that has a pillow? Because there's a lot of the world that does not have beds with pillows. Do you thank God every day for your spouse or your partner? Do you wake up every day and thank God for your kids, even if they're being terrible? Do you still say, well, thank you for them anyways, Lord? Have you ever thanked God for your sense of smell or for your eyes or your sense of hearing? I mean, things didn't need to smell. There's no reason that humans, we have to enjoy smells, but he did that for us. I think that's a wonderful thing, that we can smell things and taste things. Have you ever just thanked God for the way things taste? Have you ever had a meal and just said, no, thank you that this tastes this way? Go to God with your thanks, not just your requests, not just your wish list of needs. We can present our requests to God in prayer, but that is not all prayer is. Prayer is a conversation, and a conversation where all you do is ask for stuff is not a very good conversation. Not a very good one. A friendship where you only go to the other person when you need something from them is a pretty terrible friendship. It's not the way we're supposed to do it. We need to have conversations with God. And in those conversations, we can ask God and ask for things and, and ask him to be a part of our lives in different ways where we have needs, but we have to have conversation too. Try that in prayer this week. Try it today. Try it this afternoon or tonight when you're praying. Take some time in prayer and don't ask God for anything. Not a single thing. Do not ask him for anything. Don't ask anything for you, for anyone else. Don't ask him to be a part of something that's going on in your life. Don't ask him for anything. Just have a conversation. And then, and then listen. Listen in your conversation. This is the other thing that I think we're really bad at in prayer. Is the conversation goes both ways. You know, it goes both ways. Imagine if someone called you and all they did was talk the entire time and then hung up on you. And you never got to say anything back. We'd probably be pretty offended. We'd be like, whoa, that was... That was quite rude, right? A conversation goes both ways. So it means we have to listen too. We have to listen to God when he speaks to us. And you might be sitting there saying, yeah, Luke, that's nice. Only I can't hear God when he speaks, Luke. I don't hear him when he speaks. And I mean, maybe that's fair. Maybe you can't. Maybe you can't hear God when he speaks. Only how do you know that? How much time are you spending in silence how much time are you spending sitting there, listening, completely silent, waiting for God to speak? Actually silent. Because I bet we spend way more time talking than we do listening. I bet that's true for each of us. Spend some actual time in conversationing, listening for God. Quiet your life. Quiet your heart. Quiet your mind. Sometimes we do that. We're, we're silent here, uh, but up here we're thinking of all these things, right? It's like when we have a conversation, if John and I are talking, I might be saying, yeah, 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 and I'm listening with my mouth, but inside I'm like, oh, I got a great response for that, right? I'm not actually listening. I'm thinking about what I want to say next. I'm talking just inside. So quiet your head. Quiet your mind. Quiet your life. And of course, you have to, you have to close your mouth for a bit too. 
devotional I was reading said this. It said, I bet more of us would hear the audible voice of God if we would just shut up for a little bit. And I thought, yes, amen. And so point two is talk with your friend. We see your friend, but talk with your friend. Listen to your friend. Have a conversation with God. And finally, the third way we overcome loneliness. And we also help others overcome loneliness is share your friend. Share your friend. Jesus says here, he says, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. And then at the end he says, and this is my command, love each other. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, love each other. So do that. Love each other. Love one another. And that's nice to say, but how do we love others well? And I think one of the best ways we can love others well is sharing the best parts of our lives with them. Share your lives. I've talked about before, share your dinner tables, share your life. But I think one of the other big things we have to share with others is Jesus. Share Jesus with your friends. Imagine having the best thing ever, the best thing that could exist ever, and keeping it all to yourself and never letting your friends experience what you have. That's so selfish. We need to share Jesus with everyone in our lives. Jesus has produced fruit and love one another. And I think this is just such a clear message to us. I think what he's saying here is he is saying, go and love others in the exact same way that I love you. Go love others the exact same way that I love you. And as we sit on that and say, yes, absolutely, I can do that, let's remember three verses earlier, Jesus says, there's no greater love than this, that you should lay your life down for your friend. Right? So as we're sitting there saying, yeah, I'm going to love my friends. I'm pretty good at loving them. Let's remember Jesus called us to literally give up our lives for our friends. He says, that's the way we love others. And I think when he says, give up our lives, it's easy to say, you know what, God, if there's an experience where I have to die for my friend, I'd be willing to do that. That's an easy thing to say, but are we willing to live that way every day in everything to lay your life down, your needs, your wants down for others? Put them first in everything is what Jesus is saying. Everything, put your friends first, put others first. And I think the problem is that we don't love others that way. I don't think we do that very well. We love others. I think we love others. That's, I think, a a thing that many of us do. But I don't think we love others in a way that puts their life before yours. I think we love them after we've made sure we love ourselves. What I mean is, Jesus says, love others enough to die for them. Put them first in every single way. Put their life as more important than yours. But many of us make sure there's food on our tables first before we make sure somebody else has food on their tables. Many of us make sure we have enough clothes and we've got enough before we give to help someone else have some. Many of us make sure that we've got enough money for our vacation plans, we've got enough time for our vacation plans before we give and help someone else. We put ourselves first before we love others. And Jesus is saying that's the wrong way. Don't love in a me first way, love in a you first way. That's how we're supposed to love. We are supposed to share our friend with them by loving them the way that Jesus would love them. That's the way we share Jesus with them. Jesus died for them. He put everything, well, he died for us, but he put everything, everyone else's needs in front of his own. Are you willing to go without? Are you willing to love others in the same way Jesus did? Are you willing to go without so that others can have? Because that's the kind of radical love Jesus called us to. When I was younger, I didn't notice uh, something that I didn't, well, I mean, when you're younger, you don't always see why your parents do what you do. You just see them doing something. So we have questions. But when I was younger, 
I noticed something that my dad used to always do, and I never understood until I got a lot older. When I was younger, I used to watch my dad when we would eat meals. He cooked quite often. But it didn't matter where we were. It didn't matter if he'd cooked. It didn't matter if we were at Camp Oneida or we were at Grandma's for Christmas dinner or we were just having a family meal at home. My dad always took his food last, and I never knew why. I, I, I just wondered always why my dad took food last. Sometimes there would be hardly anything left. Or sometimes there would be maybe just a little bit. Or sometimes he would, the food would be, have to be completely gone, and he would have to make something else. And it's weird that he would go last. I mean, society says biggest and strongest first. And my dad is a pretty big, strong guy. And so he should go first. Like the, the biggest should eat first. That's what our world says, him first. And I never understood why my dad went last. But I realize now that the reason my dad went last at every single meal was to make sure others ate first, was to make sure there was enough for everyone else. He wanted to make sure that everyone else had enough food and was full before he ate. And I know for a fact that there were many times we had to make another meal or we had to make something else because there wasn't anything left. And I realize now that that was how he showed love. That was how he showed love. That was how he said, I'm putting others first. I'm laying my life down for others. I'm putting their needs in front of my own needs. That's the kind of love that Jesus says, go and share with others. A love that says, you first, instead of me first. A love that puts everyone else's needs above your own in a very radical, clear way. One that says, I will take care of you first, and if there's left, I'll take care of me after, which is the exact opposite of society telling us how to love. Jesus says, don't do that. Just love others first. Put them first. Be willing to go without so that others might have. Be willing to die for them if you have to. Laying down your life means putting their needs as above your own. And that's not something we see very often in the world. But if the world sees the church putting other people's needs first, if the world sees the church laying aside our needs so that we can serve others, laying aside what we want so that we can love on others, if the world sees the church doing that, don't you think they'll want to know why? Don't you think they'll wonder why we're doing that? And if your friends see you living like that, if your friends see you living, putting your life over here and putting their lives first, their needs first, if your friends see you living like that, don't you think they'll have questions? And don't you think that will give us an opportunity to share why we do that? I think if the world looks at that and sees this radical love coming from Christians and coming from the church, they're going to wonder, why are they doing that? Why are they so weird? That's not how we live in the world. And they're going to have questions, and that's going to give us an opportunity to say, well, the reason I do this is because Jesus did it for me first. I'm doing it for you. I think that gives us that opportunity to share Jesus with them. We live in a me-first world, but we need to love others in a you-first way, the Jesus way. Loneliness is an epidemic. Many people are struggling with loneliness right now. And this pandemic, COVID-19, this isolation we've been living in has made it even worse. Many people are struggling right now. Many people are lonely. Many people feel unwanted, uncared for, unneeded, unloved. When we read Jesus' words here and how he looks at us and he says, you are my friend, it's hard to feel unwanted when he says that to us. He chose us. Jesus says here, he says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you. To me, that makes me feel pretty wanted that Jesus, the God of all gods, the guy who created everything, the creator of the world, looks at me and he says, I chose you. I wanted you. 
That makes me feel pretty wanted. When you read his words, it's hard to feel unloved when he says, greater love has no one than this, that you would die for your friends. And then he goes and he dies for us. It's easy to say those words, but to put them into action is something much different. He put my life as more important than his own. He put your life as more important than his. And isn't that the kind of friendship that is worth sharing with the world that desperately, desperately needs to hear it? I think so. So let's share everything about him. Let's share him. Let's share his love in everything we do with everyone that we meet. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love. God, it's easy to say we want to put others first. And it's easy to say we're going to love others first, but it is so much harder to put that into action. But God, you showed us exactly how. God, you put everyone's needs, everyone's life above your own. And you did it when we didn't even deserve it. You called us friends when we weren't worthy to be called friends. You chose us when we didn't deserve that. And it's because you loved us. You did it all because you love us. God, help us to take that love to a world that's lonely, a world that feels unneeded, unwanted, uncared for, to a people that feel like they don't matter and they're all by themselves. God, help us to see those people. Help us to reach those people and to let them know that, God, you're there as their friend. God, you're there as, as someone who loves them, wants them, cares for them. Help us to show them that love. Help us to be your love for those people. Thank you for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.